the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Liebson Show. Well, welcome back. Monday, October 17th, 2022. Hope you all had a good weekend. Our phone number, 602-508-0960. That's 602-5080-960. Nancy Pelosi writes this morning, quote, We have an opportunity to keep the Senate and build a majority so strong that Republicans will regret ever coming after our rights and barging back to power. Barge, which means to force. As if an election where people chose against exorbitant, unnecessary costs to live, against humiliating and deadly military defeats, against the racialization and sexualization of our children, against dependence for our energy needs on dictators, would not be choosing a new leadership rationally and peacefully, but those choices would be violent forcing of a return to power. They will regret ever coming after our rights. Does this sound menacing, commendatory, or threatening to you at all? Just after wrapping up the final January 6th hearing, where the issue was whether the atmosphere and climate of menacing, comminatory, and threatening language was the issue, and thus cause of violence coming from the equivalent of one Airbus 380 airliner. You know, the thing the Democrats have perpetrated and portrayed over and over again for nearly two years, as if it was the first time someone denied the good faith and operations of an election here. Query. Why do we have election observers in every election? Query, why do we have election laws? Query, why do we have election attorneys? Query, why does every recorder and secretary of state office in the country have a website and mandate to ensure free and fair and legal elections? Because, to borrow from Reinhold Niebuhr, man's inclination towards injustice makes democracy necessary because as john stuart mill put it any system moral or otherwise will work ill if you assume universal idiocy conjoined to it or if you assume ill will or political entitlement or opinion principle regime hierarchy conjoined to it in other words precisely because we know elections can be tampered with it's called election tampering and election fraud We have those phrases for a reason. We know it has happened, and we know it can happen. Campaign finance reform is but one perennial effort to stop perennial campaign fraud and abuse. Oh, and one other reason, because Democrats taught the world that when they don't win, sometimes they will blame the accuracy or fairness of an election. Hell, Joe Biden fouled history as well as his own nest, yelling at the American people from Georgia that if they didn't pass his version of election reform, Republicans would be inheriting the moral and historical legacy of Jefferson Davis, Bull Connor and George Wallace. And that was obviously after January 6th, 2020 
admitting, Soto Voce, that at least to him and his party, elections in America were or are inherently in need of dramatic reform because they are abusable and abused. Hell, the Democratic candidate for governor in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, who is the former Democratic candidate for governor, has said so many times her election was stolen from her, denying the results and claiming she was the appropriately elected governor. There are musically doctored YouTube videos and memes of her saying it. Hell, what of this headline from 2017? 2017, NPR, National Public Radio, quote, Clinton won't rule out questioning 2016 election. Close quote. Or this headline from that same year, 2017, after Donald Trump was elected from CNN, quote, Clinton opens door to questioning the legitimacy of the 2017 election, close quote. What of this headline from ABC News in 2000, quote, Al Gore to contest election results? Anyone remember the phrase big lie? I guess it only applies to one party. How about this story from the San Francisco Chronicle in 2004? Let me just read the opening two paragraphs. Quote, California Senator Barbara Boxer expressing regret for failing to act after the contested 2000 presidential election delayed George Bush's formal reelection for almost four hours Thursday in a nearly unprecedented protest of Election Day irregularities. Boxer and fellow Democrat Representative Stephanie Tubbs-Jones of Cleveland, Cleveland, relying on widespread reports of voting problems on November 2nd, stopped the count of electoral college votes with that formal objection to the Ohio results, close quote. Stopped the count for four hours. The transfer of power was delayed by claims of fraud. Of course, You know, part of that sentence isn't true. The day Barbara Boxer did that was not a transfer of power day any more than January 6th was a transfer of power day. It was a count the vote day. Just because the Democrats like to claim January 6th stopped the peaceful transfer of power, it doesn't mean it was true. They know January 6th, as Barbara Boxer's effort 16 years earlier, was a vote counting day, not a transfer of power day. Four hours, though. Wow. That'd be an hour less than what transpired on January 6th. But no big lie there. And of course, the image I will never forget is Hillary Clinton in August of 2020, just a couple years ago, telling her former chief of staff, Jennifer Palmieri, on Zoom that Joe Biden, quote, should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. As Palmieri, remember, as an interviewer, thrust her fist in the air. Like she were Malcolm X or something, gesticulating on or mimicking the black power symbolism, celebrating the idea that Hillary Clinton is saying, don't accept the results of the election. Anyway, I gave you Nancy Pelosi's peaceful language three days after the January 6th committee held its final hearing, a hearing about how violent rhetoric led to, well, violence. The problem this hearing had was that while there was violence, there was no violent language, no inciting language from the president. It's hard, after all, to convert march peacefully and patriotically into a call to violent arms or insurrection. By the way, this would be the hearing where they issued Donald Trump a summons, but not Nancy Pelosi, though she was in charge of capital security and for some mysterious reason was all wired and mic'd up by HBO for that day for a documentary that... No doubt, I say sarcastically, must have been pre-planned for events that would take place 
some other day. You know, the wired and microphone Nancy Pelosi who laughed about going to jail for punching Donald Trump in the face. That Nancy Pelosi that day, that documentary, that wiring. Though I do have to tell you that January 6th obsession has had some effect. Thought experiment. Thought experiment. Talk about the effect. You can turn it into an actual experiment. Ask anyone you know who doesn't listen to talk radio how many cops or others were killed on January 6th. I can tell you I know the results of that experiment. You will get the wrong answer. The only person who died in that violence on that day, as you know, was one of the rioters. In fact, I take it as an evidentiary statement against interest that the media and Democrats had to perpetuate a falsehood about Capitol Police being killed that day to make January 6th look worse than it was. In fact, while speaking of evidence and witnesses, do you find it not a little interesting the January 6th committee did not call as a witness the officer who shot that female? That female unarmed rioter in the back? We used to be against police shootings of the unarmed, didn't we? But ask someone who doesn't listen to talk radio how many people were killed on January 6th. You'll get the wrong answer. There's an op-ed in today's Arizona Republic by one Ingrid Jacques. She's a journalist for the USA Today. It's a love letter to Liz Cheney about how she's a real Republican, like Mitt Romney and George Bush, as Jacques tells us, as opposed to Donald Trump and his supporters who, quote, push conspiracies and an agenda that doesn't mesh with mainstream conservatism, close quote. That's what she writes. Doesn't mesh with mainstream conservatism. Now, I didn't know of Ingrid Jacques, so I looked up the biography of this expert on what conservatives are and should believe. As a journalist, she moderated a GOP debate in Michigan and others, I gather. Does a journalist who write Sop eds on who is and who isn't a legitimate conservative sound like someone who should be moderating a televised Republican primary debate. And a question about this mainstream conservatism. Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to oppose teaching five-year-olds about their sexual organs in school and how, if they don't like them, they can work on changing them? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to oppose the concealment of those two teacher-student discussions from parents? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to teach five-year-olds they should be ashamed of their race if they are white? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to support abortion up until and even after delivery? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to support non-college graduates bailing out college graduates for their student loans? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to stop energy jobs and production here so we can ask Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to fulfill our energy needs? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to ignore the leading cause of death of young adults, fentanyl, which we can volitionally do something about but don't? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to ignore that cause of death, which is at least 100% greater than the threat to life in the same age category as COVID, while we mandate and make exquisite and nonstop mandates and sirens and alarms over COVID, the lesser threat to that same age group? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to question rushed and herd mentality, weaponization and politicalization of science? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to point out the logical and potential iotrogenic and paradoxical effects of that reliance on that science only to then be censured and censored? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to oppose condemning fellow citizens objecting to sexualized and racialized curricula as domestic terrorists and the sicking of federal and local law enforcement on those parent citizens? 
Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to lie about our borders? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to oppose one party's irrigations of power to decide unto itself when and where to nullify federal law when they disagree with it? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to support religious institutions' objections to the sexual fashions of the times that conflict with the teachings of the Bible? That is the very reason those religious institutions exist. Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to oppose the arbitrary censorship of political legitimate speech? Is it mainstream or out of the mainstream to think maybe we could take you more seriously if you'd objected to your new heroes of conservatism being lambasted as wanting to put black people in chains when they were running for president by the man who is currently the president and whom you do not consider outside the mainstream? I guess I'd sum it up this way. To journalists whose understanding of politics and consistency and single standards and objectivity is the equivalent of a horse's ability to climb a ladder, and to leaders of the Democratic Party who plumb the depths of their thesauruses to conjure up the most radical language for the purpose of explaining or propagandizing their opponent's radicalism, all in order to justify their opponent's defeat and their own moral and self-serving political superiority, please excuse us if we don't buy your snake oil. And please excuse us if we do think of it as snake oil. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Team at 928-277-4476. That's 928-277-4476. Or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing. A $1,000 value. Veteran-owned and staffed, bingo versus bingo. One of the things I've been watching with fascination, and I guess I kind of thought I I didn't take brain surgery or or a telescope to figure this out, but I kind of saw this coming. I'm sure a lot of you did. Last week, that famous, now famous interview with John Fetterman, the candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania, the Democratic candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania, interviewed uh, by uh, NBC reporter. And um, all the media went after her, not him, her. And it's because of what she said after the interview, which was showing the outtakes and talking about how Mr. Fetterman had a hard time understanding uh, audible talk in small sentences. And today, the wife of John Fetterman, his his wife, is seeking some form of reparation, demanding reparations from NBC for the way they conducted the interview. The interview, which, if you watch it, was a standard interview. The only thing that's different is the reporter talked about the problems Mr. Fetterman had understanding the questions without a monitor, without a teleprompter monitor. And she showed the monitor. And I, I, I kind of remember thinking to myself, she's going to get in trouble for this one. They're going to call her um, making fun of the handicapped. What is that phrase when you make fun of the ableist, ableism, ableist? You make fun of the, the handicapped. And if that's not the right word, I apologize. Challenged, whatever you want to call it. Whatever the right term is, I, I, I adopt it. Just tell it to me. But in any event, um, ableist. I, I thought it might happen. And sure enough, it has articles all over the place, the ableism of this uh, NBC reporter. I have to tell you, um, a guy named Josh Holmes on, on Twitter runs a, uh, runs a consulting firm. 
he he has it totally right. He has it totally right. He puts it this way. I expect the MSNBC crowd to be awkward about one of their own being the one who finally says the emperor has no clothes, but it's a jarring generational shift for the Associated Press to give that angle a voice with a headline, quote, NBC reporters comment about Fetterman draws criticism. Oh, it's done more than draw criticism since then. There's demands that this NBC reporter be fired. Josh Holmes writes, people can make a decision on their own whether Fetterman's auditory processing issues are a problem. What's much more disturbing is the active effort to ensure voters were in the dark about how he conducted interviews. Friendly reporters were apparently conducting interviews with Fetterman through a computer stenographer without disclosing that, while he and his campaign were insisting he has no problem at all. Now the reporter who makes note of that totally undisclosed fact is the story. This is a generational shift. Josh is absolutely right. The reporter who claimed the emperor has no clothes, or in this case described that what we've been seeing up until now in interviews is not the whole picture, is not anything close to the whole picture. In fact, has been used in the service of promoting that everything is just fine when everything you make your own decisions isn't just fine. She is the goat. She should be the hero. And the rest of the reporters who are trying to conceal this fact should be ashamed of themselves. They were trying to put their finger on the scale. Ableism is on the ballot, writes Renee Graham at the Boston Globe. And, you know, you read this article and you realize, again, where you get propaganda. She takes a shot, this reporter does, at Meghan McCain. Meghan McCain tweeted, how can someone be a senator without being able to speak or understand small talk? And this reporter puts that in quotes, blaming Meghan McCain for that statement. That's not Meghan McCain's statement. Meghan McCain was asking a question about what that NBC reporter said, which is that he has trouble speaking and understanding small talk. Is it not a fair question? How can someone be a senator without being able to speak or understand small talk? Is that not a question? This whole ableist thing, obviously, a lot of us have families, friends, family members and friends with with different challenges. Some of them might be in this category of intellectual disability or what have you, and they deserve equal full rights. Absolutely. But the idea that someone who has a problem processing language and speaking and communicating is qualified to be a U.S. senator. I mean, look, there are things certain handicaps keep you from doing legitimately. You can say the rights, the 100 percent rights of the challenged are more important than the thing itself. Okay, try it with airline pilots. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski and his culture and economy update. He is, John, is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. 
website, great website, grandcanyonplanning.com. And you can also hear him on his own radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, I hope you had a great weekend. I certainly did. Thank you. The rain was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was something, wasn't it? The weather The weather was great, though. Yep. Did a did a lot of outdoor stuff with Dagny. Wonderful. Yeah. You, you know Dagny, the wonder yes. dog. Mm-hmm. A lot in the news this week. Um it's interesting. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal does a handy thing every Monday. It kind of gives us what, what's on the agenda for the week, and I right. love running through it with you. China's reporting its economy expanded at uh, four-tenths of a percent annual rate. Mm-hmm. It's also reported that that's its weakest growth in a couple of years. Yes, we, We've long thought that they juiced that a little bit, but even if not— uh, I was just trying to think. I think our last report was down six-tenths of a percent or something mm-hmm. like that, 0.6. That sound about right to you, roughly, yes. give or take? So whether they're juicing or not, does this mean mean something important to us? I, 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 I still think that, uh, you know, they're still shut down. China's still yeah. shut down for yeah. COVID. Yeah. You know, with the zero COVID policy is what uh, they're trying to accomplish here. And there's many talking or there's a lot of talking going on about the possibility of once the new the election is over and uh, Xi is now uh, running again for another, I think it's five year terms. Right. Yep. And uh, if that's the case, the thought could be that now there could be a loosening up of their, uh, you know, of their policies when it comes to covid and the possibility of China's economy really getting opened again, if that does. That's going to probably make a difference, not only obviously for China, but worldwide. I mean, it's it's such a big economy that it, it, could you imagine if the U.S. just decided to shut down their economy for the last two years and, and did nothing the way China has? It would destroy the rest of the world. Uh, and, and this is really something I think that could be a real benefit if indeed that that does happen, believe it or not, if they grow. The rest of the world probably grows as well, including us. I, I, yes, I, I get that, too. I, I was watching, um, I think his name is Jared Bernstein. He was He's the Council of Economic Advisors to mm-hmm. Biden or something like that. He's right. an economic advisor to Biden, Jared Bernstein. He's the one that typically does the interviews for uh, Fox News from the Biden administration. And he was asked about the state of our economy and recession talk. And he said, we have 3% unemployment he says, in no way does that tell you there's a recession. Right. Not really the definition, though, is it? That's not – I mean, it's it's a part of things, but right. the, the definition really it's does kind of go to the growth thing, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. we've had two negative quarters you know, in a row, and that typically has been uh, the definition. Yeah. But unemployment is an issue as well. It's yep. been part of the calculation, sure. as you mentioned. So, But what's really interesting is we had – um, Bank of America reported today. I don't know if you want to keep going. On yeah, this no, please article. do tell me what B of A said. But B of A, of course, came out better than expected. Yep. And uh, Moynihan was uh, the CEO said basically uh, he does not see sees a healthy economy, and that's kind of opposite of what we heard from the J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah. Uh, CEO last Jamie week. Diamond, right? Jamie Diamond, yeah. right. So there's a little bit of a difference between the two yeah. um, in their comments. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And, you know, See I mean, where, where, where new accounts will be opened. Which yeah. Is Chase or B? Yeah, I want to go where it's good. I want to go where it's good. Exactly. Interesting, yes. <laughs> it's good marketing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that is right. And and what are you reading from the news out of this week and uh, what, what we should be expected to see over the next few weeks uh, come time for really gift giving and, and, and travel and 
you know, yeah, the I mean, there's season. there's certainly a lot of economic news that's still going to be continuing to come out over the, over the next weeks. A lot of corporate earnings. You know, we saw a Bank of America report today, but uh, you've got the rest of the uh, U.S. companies that are going to be reporting over the next couple of weeks, and this is going to give us an indication as to how indeed things are looking, you know, for the future. Because of course, as companies report their past quarterly earnings, they also will give us a prognostication of what their future yeah. looks like. Yeah. And in the case of uh, certain companies, will they be revising what they've given us the last quarter or the last two quarters? Um, looking forward, will they be revising those numbers lower? And I think that's what Wall Street is really looking towards to see how these companies believe they're going to be faring over the next you know, few quarters looking ahead into 2023. So that's going to going to give us an indication. But today was an incredible day for the markets. Again, the Nasdaq up 3.4%, I believe it was. Uh, the Dow is up uh, 550 points. I mean, a big day, you know, after the, the, the pullback last week, after, again, another big day. So these are some wild swings, and it's uh, difficult sometimes for people to stomach. Uh, it's almost like being on a roller coaster, yeah, right? You sure. love it on the way up, but, boy, on that way down, it gets a little bit kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same going on with the stock market right now. So just just kind of you know, be aware. We're going to have volatility. Uh, it's okay. It's part of what what's going on. You're the on. one who kind of keeps the steady strain, though, for those people who don't like roller coasters. You kind of make those dips feel a little better, and those rises not as steep. Mm-hmm. You're you're very good about that, John. Thank you so you're much. You're a calming you. presence. You really are. Thank right. you, sir. Securities and advisory services offered to Creative One Securities LLC, member of FINRA, Recipient and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Boy, it's a little slow today. That's that okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll hold you to it tomorrow. Thanks, John. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As many of you have heard, we are doing a great event this Sunday, October 23rd. It's in the afternoon, so you can be home in time for dinner. It's called our Battleground Talkers Tour. We're bringing in Mike Gallagher, Charlie Kirk, Brandon Tatum. I'll be there, Blake Masters. Uh, It's going to be a great event. General admission tickets are as low as $5. You can get those at 960thepatriot.com. Wanted to make it as low as possible to get uh, as many of you who were interested there as uh, wanted to be. So 960thepatriot.com for Mike Gallagher, Charlie Kirk, Brandon Tatum, Blake Masters, and others. Um, And right now, if you're caller number two, I will give you two premium tickets, premium seating tickets, a pair of premium seating tickets to our event, all free. Just give us a call at 602-508- zero nine six zero and uh, it's on us those two seats uh if you are not caller number two and you still want to go you can get those tickets at 960 thepatriot.com that's 960 thepatriot.com and we uh also will be doing other giveaways throughout the show throughout the week so stay tuned um so much in the news where did i want to yeah i heard this elsewhere and i don't remember where but um, Karen Jean-Pierre, the uh, White House press secretary, was explaining, bragging uh, that the uh, student debt cancellation portal the, uh, that I was mentioning in my uh, monologue, the, uh, the, the, the process to get your refund from others um, if you uh, are in student debt at a level of $10,000, or less that you can't afford your life. You can't start your family, as Nancy Pelosi said, uh, because you have at least $10,000 in debt. Um, 
Karen Jean-Pierre was talking about it, and she was bragging on it. And I think sometimes they don't – it's the old old line from Princess Bride. I sometimes don't think the sentences mean what she thinks they mean. I, I, she's bragging about how easily the portal is to use from the White House podium, and she's reading some quotes from people who wrote in talking about how easy it was for the portal to be used. By the way, we have our caller number two if you're ringing uh, – we will um, invite you to call back when I do another giveaway or get your tickets at 960thepatriot.com. Look forward to seeing you there. Anyway, Karen Jean-Pierre is bragging uh, on how great the portal is by reading testimonials from people who used it. And I just wanted to play you a, a clip from what she said today. Layout so folks can hear. Uh, one said it was the easiest application they've ever filled out. Uh, took maybe 60 seconds. That's a quote. Uh, another said, and I quote, I just filled out the student loan forgiveness form in about one minute on my phone in my pajamas. But- yeah. Yeah. One minute on my phone in my pajamas. I don't think that means what she thinks it means. Isn't that kind of the problem here? People in pajamas when everyone else is working and those who are working not in their pajamas, bailing out this person in their pajamas. I I just I don't think they're very smart over there. I just don't think they are. You often hear me quote a friend of mine saying there's no substitute for brains. It's true. But, you know, also you can just come out, call out people who aren't smart. You can just feel free to do it. Sometimes these people have just they have Peter principled their way up uh, by dint of any number of things, whether it's favors, favoritism, whether it was through donations, whether it was from some other form of glad handling, whether it was some other form of nepotism or even in some cases, uh, uh, how does Shelby Steele describe it? He calls it um, the uh, the stigma. Let's see, the stigma of uh, the permanent stigma of questionable competence through affirmative action. The permanent stigma of questionable competence is his phrase. Some people just aren't that smart. I don't think she is. I don't think a lot of the people running the comms department at this White House are that smart. I think there's an awful lot of dumbness in our um, in our congressional and Senate uh, representation as well. And, you know, I was talking earlier about Fetterman, John Fetterman, and, and the attacks on the NBC reporter who exposed how hard a time he has doing reporters' Q&A, and they're attacking her, not him. Um, there's no question the man has levels of intelligence. He has been a public servant. He is obviously intelligent enough to get through um, through school and college and that sort of thing, but he may not be there now. He just may not be there now, and it's okay to question it. It's okay to question it. There are certain qualities one needs to enact laws on behalf of the entire United States of America and, for that matter, things that affect people in other countries, whether it's anything from aid to foreign policy to military. Senators debate and vote on that stuff routinely, routinely, and and, and I— I understand the effort by this Boston Globe columnist to say it's ableism to say that he's not qualified to serve in the United States Senate. I don't know. I think the ability to think on your feet and understand conversation and debate and to complete a sentence is kind of important for what is often referred to as the world's greatest debating forum. 
Uh, but even if that isn't true, it is a law-passing form. It is a foreign policy-passing form. It is a military aid and military effort-passing form, and it is laws that are debated and passed that reflect upon the entirety of the United States of America as well. And, you know, I made a statement uh, earlier about, you know, okay, you're going to do this with the Senate, and you're just going to say no matter what the deficit in that human being, they're still qualified. Otherwise, we're going to be ableist. You can take, you can take the deficit and make that the most important thing more important than the qualification of the job itself. You can do that. Um, The airlines industry, we talked about this with Michael Anton uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, The airline industry has, has, I I said, try doing it with pilots now. And I was reminded during the break, the airline industry is trying it with pilots. They've announced they're going to do this. They announced certain quotas that they are going to fulfill based on race and gender and I guess it might include, possibly, depending on its success or depending on the winds of time in the future, it might have to do with handicap as well or ableist issues as well. There are s- certain things I know I'm not going to be able to do. I just, some of it by, by, by dint of the way I was born, some of it by dint of some of my injuries. I have chronic low back pain. I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a stevedore. Is it ableist to keep me from doing it? Can't do the job. Cannot do the job. That should be the only qualification and question. Can they do the job? And again, on this reporter from NBC, she should be the hero, not the goat. Fetterman's wife and the rest of the media are attacking her for exposing what other reporters were concealing, which was the level of the... Deficits or handicaps that Mr. Fetterman has and goes through in trying to understand reporters' questions. They were covering for him. Why, by the way, were they covering for him? Because they want him to win. Think they'd do the same for a Republican? Just a question. You think they'd cover for a Republican? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're worried about stock market volatility, I have an investment opportunity for you. It's in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return and no correlation to the stock market. If you're looking for such a remarkable opportunity, check out my friends at Y Refi. They're offering the investment all in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment can be in a trust, an IRA, just as much as it can be in an individual or joint retirement. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys. I know them well, and they do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. That's 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. I don't know why, maybe because we're getting ready for the holidays or something, maybe because it's his last opportunity before his retirement. But Anthony Fauci is making the rounds again. I don't know if it's a farewell tour or what it is. He um, he spoke uh, with our friend Bacha Unger-Sargon on her podcast uh, recently. This little thing took place. Nobody would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. 
Well, you know, again, it's uh, first of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're, you're, you're asking me questions. You're talking about. So there's that. And he's doubling down on this. He did this with Neil Cavuto earlier today. Do you regret particularly the last one, the shutdown, the sweeping shutdown that some yeah. said made things worse? No, I, I, I don't, uh, Neil. And in fact, I think we need to make sure that your listeners understand I didn't shut down anything. He didn't shut down anything. He didn't recommend shutting down everything. And, of course, the fact checkers, quote unquote, fact checkers are backing him up. Um, I'm really glad that uh, we have people like Tom Elliott, though, who are on the case. Um, He has never found a video uh, that... um, he has never found a video that we don't need. Something you take very seriously. Dr. Fauci, uh, I mean, so far, it hasn't been overly disruptive to most people's everyday life. At what point do you think we need to start shutting down more schools, uh, limiting more travel, uh, this is early on. people from gathering in large spaces? At, at what point do you think we'll need to start considering those measures? Or are we at that point now? No. Over the entire country, we're not. In Seattle, I think that the governor and the health authorities made the right choice in beginning a mitigation strategy, which is social distancing. If we get community-based cases throughout various parts of the country, then you use that information to make the decision if they're going to do what you said, which is do this kind of social distancing. That includes teleworking, closing schools, etc. And then we have about 10 more clips of him telling us how important it is to shut down businesses and closing schools. That's just one. We do have those receipts. Don't let them lie to you in real time. Please don't. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 